Well, our scripture uh, for this morning is, is uh, it's Revelation chapter 18, verses 1 through 3, and then Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. So I'll ask, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Revelation chapter 18, verse 1. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. He called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She's become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Chapter 19, verse 1. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you. And your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, a year from now, I hope to run uh, the Chicago Marathon in under four hours. But right now... My kids' Halloween loot means that we have more Snickers in our house right now than seems human, humanly possible, and certainly more than what seems humanly wise. So what do I want? Snickers or a marathon? Uh, next summer, when we, we try to do a redo on my sabbatical because we delayed it after uh, coronavirus this summer, we plan to do an epic road trip and see a few national parks, and that will cost some money. So we need to be saving right now. But I also want to have Chick-fil-A for every single meal of my life, breakfast included, which is sometimes the best. So what do I want? A life of Chick-fil-A or national parks. And the book of Revelation is about many things, but as we come to the last three weeks of this series, the final four chapters, it's about two cities. Two places in which we can make our home. And the place that you choose to make your home is based on how you answer the question, what do you want? Or more specifically, what are you hungry for? 
And the question behind these two basic cities is, is this. Do you want the world or do you want God? And whatever you want is what you'll get. And what's made clear in Revelation 18 and 19 is, is a warning about those. And, and really the next two weeks is going to be a pretty, we're getting into the warning, the, the severe warnings offered to us. And essentially the chapters, Revelation 18 and 19, those two chapters are essentially saying two things. Do not fill yourself at the table of the world, but stay hungry for the table of the Lamb. Don't settle for the easy comforts of the table of this world. Starve or starve, be, be hungry for the kingdom of, of God. Starve for the kingdom of God. That's the point of Revelation 18 and 19. So two points this morning. Don't fill yourself up at the table of the world so that, too, you can stay hungry for the table of the Lamb. So point one, do not fill yourself up at the table of the world. That's essentially Revelation 18. Uh, now, I love, I've mentioned this before, I love dystopian end-of-the-world no, uh, novels or stories. If there's zombies, I'm in. Uh, the Man in the Hyde Castle, an alternative history where the U.S. is this dystopian world where they lost World War II to Germany and Japan, I'm in. Uh, but here's the thing. Almost all of those stories are the same story. Some powerful government has taken control of the levers of power, and they are trying to rule things by force, oppressing people by keeping them in line. But there's one dystopian story, into the world story, where it's, it's, it's different. A Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. In that story, uh, the powers don't use violence or force or threats to keep you in line. They use happiness and pleasure. They offer a world of endless distractions, entertainment, experiences. And if that doesn't work, if you're still not happy enough, they have a drug named Soma to make sure that you're happy at all times. So the end of the novel, like the, the culmination of the whole novel, is someone who's trying to resist this system because they want to fight for the right to be unhappy. And I don't know if Huxley ever read Revelation 18, but A Brave New World is Revelation 18. Now, Revelation 18 is about a city. Uh, we're told many times it's a great city. And it's referred to as Babylon. And so immediately we should be asking, okay, well, who is this? Who is the great city? Who is Babylon? Uh, what is this great city all about? And we're given three primary images of what this great city is all about. First is this great city is all about luxury. And that's in verse 3 where we're told, The merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. And throughout Revelation 18, we get a list of all of the luxury that they, uh, the city provides for the world. Verse 11, uh, verses 11 through 13 is the most extensive list. Right? The merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her. She's getting, she's getting judged, but she used to provide luxury. Um, and it was cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, uh, cloth all kinds of scented wood, um, all kinds of uh, costly wood, bronze, iron, marble. Here's the part I'm not sure about, cinnamon. I don't, I don't think of luxury as cinnamon. Maybe you do, I don't know. But that's, that's essentially, the, there's this list of luxurious things that they provided to the world. This is a, a robust economy that provides wealth and luxury to the world. And what John describes it is the nations have drunk it all in. They've taken the wealth and luxury from the city. And it's like they're, it's like they're drunk now. They've gotten drunk from the wine of the luxury of Babylon. So this city is all about luxury first. Secondly, it is self, this great city is self-glorifying. 
Verse 7 of chapter 18, we read, As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a measure of torment and mourning. That's God speaking as a judgment over her. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. Right? I'll never lose. I'm powerful. I run the world. That's essentially what she is saying. They, the members of the city think they are invincible. Nothing can bring them down. So they boast and speak in arrogance. And then thirdly, this great city controls others through filling them up with the pleasures of this world. And that's the point of uh, verse 23 in chapter 18, where we read, For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. Um, Now, I don't have time to go into that image uh, entirely, but essentially that that is a brave new world. It is this city, Babylon, gave wealth to the world, gave pleasure and happiness to the rest of the world, such that they deceived the rest of the world, and the rest of the world then became subservient to this great city. So this great city could control them through their wealth, through their luxury. So, uh, that aside, who is Babylon? And in the first century, that, this is a clear reference to Rome. The trade goods that are listed through uh, Revelation 18 are a clear reference to Rome and its robust economy. But ultimately, this is any culture that tries to draw our hearts into false worship through pleasure, luxury, entertainment, self-fulfillment, to draw our hearts into false gods and away from the kingdom of God, That Babylon is the, the depiction of a system that is created that deceives the world through wealth, pleasure, and luxury to fill our, so, our souls so full that we no longer hunger for the kingdom of God. This is Rome, or this is the Western culture you and I live in today. A recent study was done by Wall Street Journal and NBC News, and they found that between, uh, or that people between the ages of 18 and 38, only about 30% now say that belief in God is important for a meaningful life. However, 80% would say self-fulfillment, happiness, is crucial for a meaningful life. And that confirms what sociologist Christian Smith Uh, found in his study about American society and religion, where he says that most of us believe that society is nothing more than a collection of autonomous individuals out to enjoy life. That is Revelation 18. We've built for you a system for you to enjoy, for pleasure, for luxury, for wealth. Live for that. Fill yourself up on those things. And so we live in a world where we are offered through our smartphones, through our streaming devices, through endless activities for our kids, a feast at the table of the world. And so we hunger to be entertained, to be fulfilled, to be served, to be, to, uh, be served up experience of pleasure. And that's why I began with the question, what, what do you want? What are you hungry for? And the best way to answer that question is not to answer that, that question, because we all know the, what the right answer is. At least, if, if, you know, if you're a follower in the way of Jesus, you know what the right answer is. But instead, Revelation 18 invites some categories for us to think about. Um, some, some diagnostic categories to think about. Where is my hunger? What am I hungry for? So three questions. One, what, is your, what does your money say about your hunger? Right, if Babylon is all about luxury and wealth and pleasure, 
Money is a huge part of that. And what studies have shown us repeatedly is that today, somewhere between 10 to 25% of American Christians give 10% of their income away. Uh, Christians today actually give away less of their income percentage-wise than Christians during the Great Depression. The average Christian today gives about 2.5% of their income away. Are we filling ourselves up at the table of the world? What does our money say about what we are hungry for? Or two, what what does your passion say about your hunger? The the primary metaphor for uh, sin in Revelation 18 is adultery. The city is called a prostitute, um, which brings in imagery of, of sin, which is deeply rooted in the Hebrew Bible, that sin to God is not just breaking rules. It's like adultery. It's, it's personal. It's, it's, it's awful. <clears throat> so what does your passion say about your hunger? What are you, what are you passionate about? Right? Have you prayed as passionately as you followed election returns this week? Have you read the scriptures as diligently as you read about election law in Philadelphia this week? Has your heart been more passionate about sharing the name of Jesus or sharing some other opinion that you have? Are our passions only moved by the table of this world? Or are we starving for the kingdom of God? And then finally, what does your time say about about your, your hunger. Right, are we people of prayer? Are we people of the scriptures? Listening to other believers in community, real flesh and blood, to have them grow us and teach us? Or are we people of our smartphones, our social media f- feed, our Netflix queue? What does our calendar say about what we want in life? Is it self-fulfillment and entertainment? And listen, not that happiness is bad. We'll get to that in a second. God gives us in Revelation 19 an image of incredible fulfillment and joy and happiness, but how much of the things we, we seek for happiness now are connected to his table? See, Babylon wants you eating from the table of this world, its table of pleasure and luxury and self-fulfillment, a table to feast from, to fill our souls so that we are no longer hungry for the kingdom of God, for the table of the Lamb. So that's point one. Do not fill yourself up at the table of the world. That's the whole point of Revelation 18 is the great city, Babylon, Western secular culture, whatever political power wants to, and, and listen, this is what Chinese Christians are wrestling with as well, how wealthy China has become has become a major impediment to the church in China's growth and flourishing. Materialism as, is as much a hindrance to the gospel as a, an oppressive secular state. Are we hungry for the kingdom of God? So that point one, do not fill yourself up on the world, world's table, are you? What does your money say about that? What do your passions say about that? What does your time say about that. And then secondly, uh, stay hungry for the table of the Lamb. And I, I want to I unpack this kind of in three words to the church. That, that As I meditated on these two chapters, the, the fallenness of Revelation 18 and the beauty of Revelation 19, there's three things I want to say in this. First, if you want to stay hungry for the table of the Lamb, you need to expose the great city. Uh, that whenever I eat, uh, I eat healthy for a very long time, something uh, becomes very clear to me, which is uh, McDonald's is really is, is gross. Um, now listen, when I'm not eating he- healthy for a long time, whatever they do to that food is amazing, right? So if you like McDonald's, I'm not judging you, okay? We all have our McDonald's, as Jim Gaffigan said, no judgment whatsoever. But for my own taste buds, 
Uh, and, and I, Mountain Dew may be the better thing. Like I stopped drinking Mountain Dew for like a year, and then when I went back to it, it's like, this, this is awful. Why did I ever think this was good? Um, but you, you, right, you clear out your taste buds, and you go back to something, and it's like, that actually is, I don't like that. How did I ever give so much of my, uh, my stomach to those things? And, and one thing that we have to keep in mind as we read Revelation 18 and 19 is that the rest of the world had a really high view of Rome. Rome had a powerful economy, the Pax Romana. They had introduced peace all over the empire. Now, granted, that peace came with violence to those who, oppressed, or to, who opposed Rome, but yet Rome was known as this incredible, uh, this incredible place of wealth and luxury and peace, like the high point of the world. Like this is, you don't get a better society than this. And listen to what God has to say about Rome. She's become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. That what God's saying is you take away all of the wealth and the luxury and the power of Rome and all that is left is a demonic skeleton. That Revelation 18 is inviting the church to see Rome, not as the world sees Rome, but as God sees Rome. And the place where this punch lands hardest is in verse 13, where, uh, again, we go, they go basically through the entire economy of Rome and all that it provided. Again, gold, silver, jewels. John includes cinnamon, we're not sure about that, but spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, animals, right? Cattle and sheep, horses and chariots. Then we get to this line, and slaves. That is human souls. Now, my guess is uh, at some point you've heard someone say, the Bible doesn't you know, condemn slavery, it, it, it affirms it. That's not true. This is one of the most subversive and uh, strongest condemnations of slavery we have. That the, way that fr- the way that phrase reads is slaves is literally the, the Greek word bodies. Right? So you could go down to the Ro- Roman market and buy a body, a human body. But John doesn't end the economic list there. He says... You know, bodies, that is human souls. And then he uses the Greek word for soul. It was a subversive way of condemning Roman society in the way they treated human beings. That what, what's God's response to Rome's economic injustice against slaves? He doesn't say, well, every other culture does it. Every, you know, every human society's done it. No, God says... Peel back your wealth and your luxury, and it's built on the back of it's been built on the back of human beings. You're demonic, and you will be torn down. Right, verse eight. For this reason, her plague will come in a single day: death and mourning and famine. She will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God, who has judged her. It is hard to imagine how shocking that would have been to people who thought Rome was the greatest society in. The world, but God's assessment of Rome is very different than the world's assessment of Rome. And likewise, we need to take a long, hard look at our own culture and ask, what is God's assessment of the time and place in which we live? What does God want to expose of the great city of Western secular culture in which we live? Now, to be clear, it's not all bad, right? When we get to Revelation 19 and 20, you have the nations bringing in their goods. Um, as well. So every culture has a mix of good and evil, and yet God is ruthless in his assessment of Rome. He will not excuse sin, injustice, oppression, and violence against innocent people. 
He condemns it. And he says, you're going down because of it. So we have to, we have to expose the great city. And when, when, we, when we see that all of the wealth, luxury, pleasure, entertainment behind is, right, is, is uh, going back to verse 2, is demons and unclean birds. Like, have you ever touched a bird? I mean, those are disgusting. Unclean birds, uh, detestable beasts. And then you get the image of people who are, who are drunk and, and wandering around. And it's basically you pull back the, the veil of what's real, and it's not compelling. It's McDonald's for me, right? If you like, it's okay if you like McDonald's. It's, it's not good. It's evil. It's awful. God's assessment of Rome was very different than the world's assessment of Rome. And so we in our own life need to expose the great city. The advertisements that say, if you just buy this thing, you'll be happy. That is, that's, that's demonic. <laughs> the idea that, you know, we don't have enough money to give uh, what the Bible commands is sort of the baseline for generosity. That we're there not because we have been convinced of something true. But I'm getting to the next thing. So first, expose the great city. Second, we need to practice resistance to the seduction of the great city. That the word of the church in verse 4 is, come out of her, my people. Right? You, need to, you need to leave the great city because you are destined for another city. And so... To do that, we need resistance practices. And I want to give, I want to offer up um, three. Three resistance practices so that we don't make our home in Babylon, but we make our home at the table of the Lamb. And the first, and I've hinted at this, it's, our, it's generosity. So I'm just not going to beat around the bush uh, here. You need to give at least 10% of your income away. And if you think that's like, well, that's a pastor's self you don't have to give it to us. I don't care. Um, one of the clear ways that I think Americans and American Christians in particular have been captured by Babylon is our generosity statements. And again, this is not a church uh, giving drive. This is a your heart. Like your heart is too, is, our hearts are too captured by wealth and luxury. And the Old Testament is clear. Each believer was to give a tithe away, 10%. And then by the time you include other uh, giving they were supposed to do, whether it was offerings, uh, feasts, giving to the temple, it was probably closer to 25 to 30% of their income. And they were not as wealthy as, as you and I are today. And so listen, if you're, if you're not giving 10% of your income away, that's just an easy place to start. That's a, that is a resistance practice that says, I am, I am not living by the luxury of Babylon. I'm starting here. And my hope is that would grow over time. That the culture in which you and I live is, in, is incredibly blessed material, uh, materially. And that is not for us to build lives of luxury. It is for us to build lives of generosity to those around us. So first, generosity. So you want to you be rebellious. The most rebellious thing you could do is give lots of your money away. Second resistance practice is, is fasting. Right? I mean, the, the metaphor we're going, we're, that's at Revelation 18 and 19, a lot of it is food related. God offers the, the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19. Revelation 18 is, is all of these goods, many of which include Food And one of the best ways to say, I am desperate for God and not the world, is to fast, right? Is to remove something that we actually will become desperate for if we stop doing it, which is food eating. And to say, I, listen, I, even though I need food, I need God more. This is John Piper has a great little book on fasting called A Hunger for God. And he has an extended quote. I want to I I read it because I think he, he hits so much of Revelation in 18 and 19 are inviting us to think about. Here's what he writes. The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. 
It's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. It's not the X-rated video, but the primetime dribble of triviality we drink in every night. For all the ill that Satan can do, when God describes what keeps us from the banquet table of his life, it's a piece of land, a yoke of oxen, and a wife. The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not the poison of evil, but the simple pleasure of earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. These are not vices. These are gifts of God. They are your basic meat and potatoes and coffee and gardening and reading and decorating and traveling and investing and TV watching and internet surfing and shopping and exercising and collecting and and talking. And all of them can become dead substitutes for God. All right, so what Piper's saying is some of those things are bad. They're not, right? Especially not coffee. Coffee is not bad. Coffee is very good. But there are times where simple pleasures can become the way in which I fill my soul so that I no longer hunger for the kingdom of God. And fasting is where I say with my body and soul, nothing in this world will satisfy me but the kingdom of God. Nothing. So we need to practice generosity. We need to fast. Whether that's pick a day of the week, pick a day of the month, or pick a day of the quarter, right? Wherever you're at. And just to remind us, when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, he assumed three basic practices for every one of his disciples. It was giving to the poor, it was prayer, and it was fasting. So it's part of why I picked those two things, but they're also deeply connected to Revelation 18 and 19. Fast, be generous, and thirdly, and this is going to take a little bit of work, but uh, imagining. And I don't mean make-believe, um, right? You know, let's get into make-believe. What I mean is, uh, what Revelation is written... And what it's, not, what it's not trying to do is like, okay, guys, here are, the, here are five facts about heaven. Number one, it's better than earth, right? Number two, it, no, it's, it, it, give, it brings you into a world, right? Revelation 12, we're not living in a world that, that uh, we see everything. There's actually a dragon, and there's a woman, and there's a son, and there's a battle. In the war. It's, it's bringing you into an imaginative world, not because it's make-believe or made up, Rather, it speaks in metaphor and images to capture our imaginations, to capture our hearts. The same way that Babylon tries to do that with us. Each advertisement we watch is to tap into our imagination machine, right? If I had this, finally, joy would be complete. Happiness would be complete. You're not happy, right? And the reason you're not happy is you're buying the wrong cinnamon, right? Buy this cinnamon and you'll be happy. That's how advertisement works. It's not a fact. It's an imagination, And all of it's ridiculous, and we know it's ridiculous, and yet our hearts are still moved by those things. And what's happening in all through Revelation, the entire book of Revelation, but also in particularly through Revelation 17 through 21, is that we have the city of man, which is Babylon, contrasted with the city of God, the new Jerusalem. And so just just for a moment, close your eyes and enter into how the imagination, we're drawn into this imagination, this world created for us, for us to, to, to move our hearts and minds, close your eyes. Babylon has deception. All nations were deceived by her sorcery. She, she offers what appears to be luxury, but it's, behind it is demonic. Then we have the New Jerusalem. There's no deception. Only light. Revelation 21, verse 24. By its light, the nations will walk. Its gate will never be shut by day. There will be no night there. 
Babylon gets the nations drunk, and we all know how unhappy drunk people are. Right? Chapter 18, verse 3. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality. But the New Jerusalem, we drink from the water of life that heals the world. Chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, on either side of the river, the tree of life, the leaves of the trees, were for the healing of the nations. Babylon has division and war and fighting. Revelation 18, 24. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints, all who have been slain on the earth. But New Jerusalem has life and healing. No longer will there be anything accursed there. All right, if you close your eyes, you can open them again. But the reason reading your Bible is so important is not because you need more Bible facts. You probably already have enough Bible facts. Rather, what we need is, is our imagination, our desires, our longings, our hearts to want God. And so much of our time is spent meditating and, um, and imagining and dwelling at the table of the world, which encourages division, encourages deception, Encourages immorality. And what we need is to, to resist that and to instead dwell and spend our days at the table of the Lamb where we're promised healing and life and light and no more darkness. And so what do you want? Do you want God? Are you starving for him? Or have you made your home in Babylon? And again, we all know the right answers to those questions, but what does your money say about those questions? What does your passion say about those questions? What does your hunger say about those questions? What are you starving for? And my guess is if you're anything like me, as I've meditated on these two chapters, you're, listen, there's a lot of conviction here. And so I want to say, I want to say two things. Um, as we close. First is, this is why the, the entrance into the Christian faith is repentance. You need to repent. We confess our sin. We call on Jesus in faith. If you've never been baptized, you need to take that step where the Spirit of God, um, through this metaphor, through this practice, uh, metaphorically washes all of Babylon off you so that you can enter into life with Christ. Clean. If you've never made Christ as your Savior, you've never been baptized into the way of Jesus, I would love to talk to you about that. So repent, that's first. But more importantly, secondly, this is where we, we need to end. It's not just repent, but it's, it's also secondly, God wants you. The revelation is a stinging rebuke, um, accusing human beings who have abandoned God in, for the world as adulterers, as cheating on God. And so what does God do with uncheating, unfaithful people? Well, verse 7. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Right, so we cheat on God. And what he does is he gives us new clothes. 
which are uh, fine linen, bright and pure. And the word bright there, it's actually used throughout Revelation 18 to describe the brightness of what Babylon offers you, which isn't brightness. It's not, it's not luxury. It's, it's false. But here at the new heavens and new earth, Jesus offers sinners, adulterers, us, me, new clothes, offers us new vows, right? I'll take you back as my bride. Right, so it's just a feast. It's a, it's, it's a feast of a wedding, and we're the bride. Um, and thirdly, we're offered a feast. Right? So in other words, the, the Christian way isn't, hey, listen, everything pleasurable is bad. No, the, the Christian way is God has far more pleasure, happiness, joy when you're with him than anything the world has to offer. So stay hungry for his table. Live at his table. But what, just what stands out for me from all of that is the simple fact that God is just looking at us, like, tearing this world apart in deception, division, right? All the, all the stuff that a lot of which we lived into this week. All of that. And God's just like, listen, I just want you. Just leave that behind and come to, to me. That's how Revelation 19 ends, is an invitation to new clothes, new vows, and a new feast. And that ultimately is the heart of the gospel, is the gospel is not God in heaven looking down at us and saying, listen, you, you've really blown it. Um, once you get it together, then let's talk. No, it's, it's, it's let me cover everything you've done. The reason we can be given new clothes is because of Jesus' own sacrificial death on the cross for us. We get his clothes, right? We get his purity. We get his righteousness. We get his, uh, his perfection, not because we are any of those things, but because God just wants us. Um, that I've told many of you, or we talked last week about uh, going on a prayer trip and, and, and really went uh, before God with, with three questions. Uh, and the three questions I had for God is, God, what do you want from me as your disciple? I mean, this is, just, this is a crazy season, right? Can we just all, whatever, whatever you think, whatever your interpretation of the season is, man, it's, it's insane. So God, what do you want from me? Just as your disciple in this time, um, what do you want from me as, as a, um, a father and a husband in this time? And what do you want from me as a pastor in this time? And so I started with that first question. God, what do you want from me as your disciple in this time? What are you calling me to do and be? And it, listen, it wasn't an audible voice in the mountains, but it was, it was a clear voice from God. And his answer to me to that question is the same answer he would give to any one of you and me. It's the heart of the gospel. His answer, I just, it was so clear. What he said to me was, Tim, I don't want anything from you. I just want you. Right? God is the, the, the one being in the universe who needs nothing from you. Who's not trying to, to lure you in with false luxury and pleasure to try to take from you. To try to, to take from you in order to control you, which is ultimately what powers do, what Rome does. They give you the luxury so they can control you with their gods and their power. God doesn't want to do that. And that's the whole point of where Revelation is leading, that that our catastrophe, our, our broken world is ultimately that we've been cut off from the only being in the universe who needs nothing from us, but who has everything to offer us and who comes offering us new clothes, new vows, a, fe- a, a real feast. And ultimately, isn't the reason why we fill up on the, the, the things of Babylon, those false luxuries, because we want to be filled. We're looking to be, we want to be made right. We want to be filled. We want to be satisfied. So I'll end where I started. What what do you want? What are you hungering for? Because he's here and he's ready to eat with you. Let's pray. 
Father, it's hard to imagine uh, two passages more starkly different than what we have. Strong condemnation next to an incredible invitation. And so I pray for each of us as we're wrestling through maybe the, the one thing or the thing that we, we brought in coming uh, into this place that has nothing to do with the sermon. God, we're all wrestling with so much, and, and I pray you would cut through all of that and have our hearts tuned to the invitation you've invited us to, to the new clothing for the new feast that you want to be, you want us to be your bride. May we hear that invitation now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.